Thanks, Toby. Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. That was so good. Um, so it's great to see you guys tonight. My name's Tim, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I was, wasn't actually down to speak tonight. Josh was meant to be speaking this week and next week, and he's been really excited to share this series on James with you. But you guys know he's had a rough, rough time the last year, and he's still sort of just not up to preaching yet. Um, he's going to get back into youth group and back into children's ministry, and planning to speak later in the year, and, and I reckon this place is just going to be like packed out when Josh actually gets up and speaks, and get to hear what God's doing in his life, and it's going to be awesome. Um, but I'm excited to be able to share with you. I got the call up um, last minute to be able to come and share, um, but this, this passage is really exciting and, and really cool. Um, I hope you guys have had a good new year. Maybe you've got some new things going on. Um, you probably know that Tam and I have had some changes. We moved house, we moved to Kalanga, um, we got some new housemates. I got a new haircut, and I got a new phone that's not an iPhone, and I'm getting paid out for that, and I'm getting paid out for my haircut, probably people are going to pay me out for living in Kalanga and all this stuff, but that's kind of like, that's like the Australian way, right? Like, like and it's definitely the Rivers way, where you're like, if you love someone, you, you kind of say mean things to them, <laughs> like, like you, 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 you pay them out, um, you sort of have a go at them, and there was this speaker, I was down in Melbourne and, and at a conference last year, and there was a speaker there from America. And, and he was like, like I'm not going to do an accent because I'm bad at it, but he's like, I know, like, you Australians, like, you show your affection to each other by, like, paying each other out and saying mean things to each other. And he's like, just keep your affection to yourself. Like, like I'm good. <laughs> like, you don't need to show me that. Um, and that's kind of just, like, the way we understand things, right? Like, that's kind of just, just hanging out, paying each other out. We're reading through the book of James, though. And I don't know if he really thinks like that. <laughs> we read through this book. This is this little book in the New Testament. And I don't know if it's a Jewish thing to like banter and pay each other out. Because he says some pretty full-on things, but they don't seem like they're paying out. They're like, they're pretty serious. And um, as we read through this book in James, like, if you, if you encourage you to have a read through it, it probably wouldn't take you long as we go through it. We did last week, we're doing this week and next week. Um, and it's challenging. Like, like, he's a challenging type of guy, that God is speaking through James, through the Word of God, but, but this, these words are words of challenge, they're words of calling people to action, calling people to change, and he doesn't pull punches, like he, he, he kind of hits them pretty hard over the head, but I'm pretty sure, actually I'm sure, that it's, it's in love, that he's concerned for these people, he's, he's loving them, he's, he's wanting the best for them, and sometimes there's a tough word that needs to be spoken to bring about good for the sake of the people there. So this is what James is, is like when you read him. He can be pretty blunt. He can be pretty full on. Um, but God can really speak to us through that, through that situation as well. So we're going to look at James chapter 2 soon. But before that, I kind of just want to frame like what I think is going on at the church that he's writing to and how it's similar to what goes on for us here today and why this is actually really important, really relevant um, part of the Bible that we're going to look at and see how it's really relevant to our lives. Um, I think I've, it's pretty safe to say that everyone here loves um, comfort, right? Loves to make things easier and simple. Um, over the holidays, we, we um, did a lot of renovations in our house. We painted upstairs and we sanded the floor so we had to rip up all the carpet. We had to rip up these nails um, and staples and we had to get a sand and then we had to varnish. And, and it was just really hard work. Like I thought it was going to be difficult as in like we might make mistakes and just ruin it. But it, it wasn't so much that it was that. It was actually just hard because it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of work and it took a lot of time. And it's easy just to then complain and just sort of want things to be easy, like want things to be comfortable. And that's like a really normal thing in life, right? That we don't like 
discomfort. Some of you guys even know, like in um, grade 10 at Grace, you go to Guga, and you're like away for a month um, at this camp, and you're away from your parents, and it's kind of challenging you. And I, I was looking at some of my letters that I wrote when I was at Guga um, a couple of years ago. And I, I would write things like, having an awesome time, it's really good, all these awesome things, but I'm a bit uncomfortable. And it's like, that's kind of the point. Like, <laughs> you're in the bush, like it's trying to, trying to put you out of your comfort zone, but I'm like, oh, I don't really like this. Like, I want life to be easy. I want life to work. And we can kind of feel like that, that sort of our mind is sort of revolves around how can I make life easier? How can I make life comfortable? How can I make things more simple? Especially in our society with the iPhone, with, with different um, technology, we can sort of make things work and make things easy. So the temptation then is when life isn't really working, is to try and make it easier. And that's what seems to be happening at this church that James is writing to. These are Christians who are finding that it's becoming harder to be a Christian, that they're, they're suffering for it. And it's not really clear exactly how they're suffering. They might not be being um, physically abused or physically mistreated, but they might be kind of being pushed out of society. They might be finding it harder to get work. Therefore, they're, they're starting to struggle financially and starting to think, I need to make life work. I need to make things easier because it's too uncomfortable to actually trust God and follow and do what he says. So as you read through this thing, we can see there's all these sort of things that they're doing in this church that, that is not in line with what Jesus says to do. When, when people are coming to the church, there's rich people coming in and there's poor people and everyone's going to the rich people and wanting to be their friend and wanting to be get in with them and wanting to maybe have some financial support from them and it's kind of pushing the poor people to the side. And not wanting to give, not wanting to help, because that's, that's going to be too difficult. I need to make my life work. Again, this, it seems like there's some fighting and, and problems in this church. And instead of trusting and following what Jesus says to do, these people are thinking, no, I need to get what I need. I need to make my life work. And there's these fights and disagreements. And it seems that what has happened and what James addresses is that in order to deal with that discomfort the discomfort of it's a bit hard to be a Christian, these believers have kind of separated out two things that shouldn't be separated. They've really separated their faith or their belief in Jesus from the way they live their life in order to reduce the discomfort. So these believers are saying, we still believe Jesus, but we don't really want to do what he says because if we actually do these things, if we actually treat everyone fairly, if we actually give to the poor, if we actually love our enemies, it's going to be so uncomfortable still. It's going to be so difficult. And the temptation is to make life easier by separating, saying, I can still believe Jesus, but I don't really need to do what he says. I can, I can make my life work my own way. And James speaks into that situation, and he speaks strongly into that situation. And we're going to look at these verses and see what he says, because I think we're in a similar situation in our society, in our sort of current culture and current sort of climate, that it's getting harder to be a Christian. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on, but, but society more and more is moving past Christianity, kind of defines itself against Christianity. So, so to follow and to believe and to live the life that Jesus calls us to live, for us to actually do that, for you to do that in your workplace, in your school, particularly in your university, it's, it's becoming more difficult, it's becoming more uncomfortable because people don't look well on that. So we're going to look at what James says, and he really has one point that he keeps reinforcing again and again. These people are trying to separate these two things, what I believe about Jesus 
and the life and the things that I do. They're trying to separate them to make life easier. James's point over and over and over again is that you cannot separate those two things. That if you separate those two things, you, that's not the type of faith that Jesus wants. This is what James says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? So see, he's addressing this issue, right? Someone says, I believe Jesus, but I, but I don't really want to do what he says. I'm just going to make my life work. I'm just going to make things easy. But I still believe him. James is saying, what good is that? And he gives this example. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? See, his point is this type of faith is pointless. This faith that doesn't lead to anything is not good for anything. In the same way that if, if someone in our, in our church came to us and they didn't have um, enough clothes, we didn't have enough food, and we just say to them, just what he says, like, go in peace, keep warm, well fed. Just saying those words doesn't do anything. They're, they're, they're pointless. They're good for nothing. It's only actually doing those things that actually leads to anything. This is his point. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So James is concerned for them because he's saying, if you split these things then that type of faith that you get is a dead faith. It's not the type of faith that God is wanting. He says this, someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Again, you see, they're trying to split these things, almost split them in kind of like different gifts or different callings or different styles or different personalities. Like, you have this one and I have this one. You have faith and I have deeds. And James, again, God is speaking through him and saying, no, these things have to stay together. And he says that these things actually are linked naturally. This is what um, James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shut up. I told you, he doesn't pull punches, right? He speaks harsh. And his point again, right, is that just believing something intellectually as a belief that doesn't impact our life in any way, it doesn't do anything. But when you actually take action, it shows what you believe. And we believe this, right, with everything else in life that has to do with believing somebody. That, that if, if, if you believe that the plane will take you to Melbourne, just believing that doesn't get you to Melbourne. Like as much as you believe it, as much as you're convinced of it, you have to let that belief impact your life and actually get on the plane and the plane will take you to Melbourne because you believe that. It's this belief that, that is, is this active faith, not just this intellectual belief. He keeps going, he goes hard. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? This is interesting. If you, if you understand sort of the New Testament and, and who and the Old Testament, who this man Abraham is, I'll give you a really quick backstory. Abraham is this man that God comes to um, right towards the beginning of the Bible. And God just kind of comes out of nowhere and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take you to this land. I'm going to create a nation through you. You're going to have sons and daughters. They're going to have multitudes of kids, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And Abraham is held up as this example of the man of faith because God comes to him and says these things, and Abraham believes God. 
God says this stuff, and Abraham says, okay, I believe you. And at that point, God says of Abraham, you're right with me. I, I approve of you because you believe me. And this is this, this awesome truth about Christianity, is that it's not, Abraham didn't have to do all these good things and do all these right things in order to please God so that God would love him and accept him. All Abraham did was, was believe God, and God says, you're right with me. And that's true for us as well, that we, we hear about Jesus, we hear about who he is, we hear about what he's done, and if we believe him, then, then we're right with him. If we put our confidence in him, we're right with him. We don't have to earn all these things. So Abraham's the man of faith, right? But this is interesting because in this passage, James is using him as an example of faith, but not, the, the, not faith without works, but faith with works. He's actually saying, look at Abraham, the man of faith, and look at what he did. Because later on, so Abraham believes this promise that God gives him, but later on, it's this full-on story in the Old Testament. God comes to Abraham. God has given Abraham a son miraculously, and then God tests him and asks him to offer his son as a sacrifice back to him. He's, he's testing Abraham's faith. And Abraham does it. He goes to offer his son back to God, and God stops him at the last minute. But what this is showing is that Abraham really did believe God. If he didn't really believe God, he wouldn't have done what he said. But because you can see that Abraham did the difficult thing God told him to do, that shows he really believes God. He really trusts God. James says this, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. It's the same as the plane. If, if you believe the plane will take you to Melbourne, you hop on. If you believe that God is trustworthy, when he asks us to do something, we, we do it. We trust him. Often though, right, maybe that, that might not be the case. Sometimes like when I'm reading this passage, maybe you're hearing this passage, and you might be thinking, oh, I don't know, like do I, do I have works? Like am I, do I have deeds? Like all these things. And the temptation in that is to go back to earning and saying, oh, okay, I better try really hard to obey God. I better try to make sure I do all the right things. But that's not what James is saying. James is not saying that we need to focus on deeds James is talking about a certain type of faith and having that type of active living faith to say, actually, do I really believe God? Because if I really believe God and believe what he says is good, then, then it makes perfect sense to actually let that play out in my life and no sense at all to keep these things split. He keeps going, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now again, this is starting to sound like, like James is saying you have to do all these things to please God. He's not saying that. But he's saying that the type of faith that connects you to God is the type of faith that is active. It's the type of faith that leads to doing something. It's not disconnected from action. The type of faith that's disconnected from action, he says, is dead. The type of faith that actually trusts God and therefore follows him is alive. He gives this other example, um, coming to the end of the passage now. He says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and then sent them off in a different direction. So this is another story in the Old Testament that the people of Israel have grown and they're about to go into the promised land and there's this main city of Jericho that they need to overcome. 
and they send in spies, and these spies are in the city, and these are, this, is a, this is people that have no, no idea of who God is, and the king of Jericho uh, finds out about these spies and goes searching for them, and this lady, Rahab, so she's not a Jew, she's not a part of the people of God, and she's a prostitute, but she recognizes that these spies know the true God, and she believes. And because she believes, again, she's then connected to God. But because she believes, she helps them. And she actually hides them in her house and then the the people come looking for them and she lies and she says they're not here, they're gone. And God says, she's righteous, that she's right with me because she believes. But James is saying here that the way that you know she believes is because she actually did this. She actually hid them. Her faith was an active faith that trusts a God and actually led to action. So James finishes with this point, as the body with the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, his point over and over and over again is you cannot separate these things. This, this, uh, this, this faith that is detached from action, that's detached from life, is not the faith that is required, but this faith that is joined, this active living faith. It's interesting as well because in, in the book of Hebrews, there's this um, chapter I encourage you to read. It's called he- Hebrews chapter 11. And in this chapter, it goes through so many people in this story of, of, of God working in history and so many people that believe God. And it's the, it's the faith chapter. But the interesting thing about it when you read it is it lists all these people and it says, by faith, they did this. By faith, Noah prepared the ark. By faith, Abraham left his land. By faith, um, Moses didn't stay um, in Egypt but went out by faith. So their faith is this living, active faith that actually involves action, that these two things are linked. And that's what James is saying to these believers. He's saying over and over again, to resist this temptation to make life easy by separating things, To resist this temptation to say, I'll just believe, but I won't let it impact my life because then it'll reduce the discomfort. He's encouraging them to have this active living faith that believes God, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering, that actually depends upon God to make life work and not on ourselves. I think part of it for us, though, part of of what makes this more difficult is that that often we've been given a message... um, even by the church or by Christians, a kind of a message of Christianity that says that life should be easy now, that life should work now, that, that things should be comfortable. So when they're not, there's this temptation to do what we need to do to make it work. This is a bit of a long quote, but this is Larry Crabb. He talks about this and sort of this message that we often heard. He says, modern Christianity, in a dramatic reversal of its biblical form, promises to relieve the pain of living in a fallen world. Often the message that we hear is that life should be easy. If you believe Jesus, if you follow him, things will be easy. Their message, whether it's from the fundamentalists requiring us to live by a favored set of rules or the charismatics urging us to deeper surrender to the Spirit's power, is too often the same. So even, even different groups of Christianity are promising the same thing. The promise of bliss for now, complete satisfaction, can be ours this side of heaven. I'm not, I'm not, he's not saying that, that there's not lots to have now in God and joy and peace and fulfillment, but he's, he's saying this idea that you can have it all now, we've often heard. Some speak of the joys of fellowship and obedience. Others of a rich awareness of their value and worth. 
The language may be reassuringly biblical or it may reflect the influence of current psychological thought. Either way, the point of living Christian life has shifted from knowing and serving Christ till he returns to soothing or at least learning to ignore the ache in our soul. And you see, this is subtle, but if, if our approach to God and our approach to church and our approach to faith is that this should fix me now, should fix my difficulties, should fix my troubles, should fix my aches, should fix my longings, that's not actually the biblical promise. The biblical promise is that God is here God is with us and we can know him and we can have joy and fulfillment in him, but that that will not be fully realized till he comes back. Larry Crabb and, and C.S. Lewis even talk about there's, there's this joy in longing even. There's this joy in even in waiting in anticipation for him to come back. But when, but when we're not in that, that posture of waiting, but instead of posture of like trying to fix, trying to consume, trying to make things work, it, it's hard to believe and wait in the uncomfortable sort of time period that we're in. I think as well, um, for us, so for James, J- James is encouraging them to, to not separate these things and just say, I have faith and not works. For us today, it's, it's somewhat different, I think, because in lots of ways, the culture is, is sort of moved past Christianity, but still values a lot of the things that Christians do. So you can not really believe Jesus, but you can do the things Jesus says to do, and people won't worry about you. Like if you, if you care for people, if you're a loving person, if you sacrifice, if you're generous, if you serve the poor, if you, if you value justice, if, if, you, if you're forgiving, all those things are actually kind of valued in our society. So to, to do those things is, is not really a difficult thing, in our society now, the problem is believing certain things. And, and if, the, if you believe certain things that the society disagrees with, that's when life gets really uncomfortable and difficult. And so the temptation is to sort of say, well, I can sort of kind of live a, a semi-Christian life, but I'll just sort of not really believe exactly what Jesus says to believe. And this is, again, splitting. This is how Mark Sayers talks about this sort of discomfort in our culture. The temptation of this discomfort between Orthodox Christian faith and the civil religion of the third culture is to do whatever it is to make the pressure go away. So again, we're in a culture that's past Christianity that, that therefore will be uncomfortable for us and it's easy to want to make the pressure go away. All the believer must do is ease up on the beliefs that grate against the contemporary sensibilities. Tweak your view on sexuality to be more embracing of today's mood. Or move from a particular view of Jesus to a universalist one and you're warmly embraced into the fold. He's saying that, that today, if, if, if you're a Christian and, you, and you're following Jesus, but you kind of just adjust some of your views on certain things to make it more tolerant or in, in what our society views as tolerance, then, then people will accept you and people will love you and you won't be uncomfortable. So that's the temptation. Thus, for Christians raised with the ethic of relevance, of proving to the world that Christians can be both believers and carry the contemporary, temporary currency of cool, the new pressure presented by an intolerant tolerance proves too much. He's saying that, that, that if you have grown up or if, if you have this perspective about Christianity that, that we want to kind of show that we're not that weird, right? We, we want to show that you can be cool and you can be a Christian and you can be normal and you can be a Christian. And, and if we want to be like that, the temptation can really be to 
oh, we don't really need to believe about these certain things because people will just think that's really terrible, so we're just going to compromise on that. And that, that's really a strong um, pressure. He says some compartmentalize their beliefs. They split them into an orthodox secularist mashup. So maybe I kind of believe in Jesus and I believe in what he teaches at church and then I go to work and I, I believe kind of what people think there or I go to uni and I believe what people think there. Others simply disappear into the cold embrace of secularity. That the, the, the pressure is too much. It's too uncomfortable. It's too difficult. It's easier just to, to, to sort of just go and just give up on Jesus. To either split or move away. And this is kind of the pressure that, that we can feel. And, and the response and the answer, right, is to actually have this active living faith that trusts God, that doesn't give in to the temptation to split our faith in our life, but actually holds them together and therefore really depends upon and rests in God. Part of what makes this hard, though, as well, is that, that again, this, 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 this idea that we can make life work, that it should be easy, and this idea that we should be able to have like instant satisfaction, that, that we should just be able to find the app that will just fix our lives, we should just be able to make life work, and that, that sort of approach um, can, can make this really difficult, actually is an approach of not wanting to trust God. Whereas an approach of walking this journey with God, walking into the uncomfortableness, into the difficulty, and trusting Him is what's required. This is what Mark says, he says here. An instant solution requires no faith because the problem is resolved in a moment. In contrast, a path requires faith and courage. Thus we understand where one of Jesus' most consistent encouragements to those who followed Him was to have courage. That this sort of different picture of, instead of a picture of how do I fix my life, how do I make it work, we're presented with a journey. And this journey is to walk the way of Jesus. And, and as we walk the way of Jesus, we might not be able to see ahead of us. We might not be able to see what's coming. We might not be able to see there's, there's dangers around us. But the thing to do is to trust Him and to walk with Him. And that is scary, which is why it requires courage. But if we think that it should be easy, it should be simple, I shouldn't be afraid, then, then, then we split, then we compromise, and it's too difficult. And this is really the, the, the need, is, is for this deep courage that just says, God, I believe you, I'm uncomfortable, this is difficult, this is hard, but I'm going to trust you, I'm going to walk your way, I'm going to look to you, and I'm going to look to your coming, I'm going to look to your promises and keep my eyes fixed on you. And this is, this is the type of faith that, that we're interested in. This is the type of faith that we see held up as an example in Scripture. And this is the type of faith that Jesus even was the example of in the New Testament as well, that he walked with his Father, trusting him, following him, even through difficulty, even through pain. He chose to take courage and to walk this journey. This is what it says in Hebrews Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is after listing all those people that by faith did this, by faith did this, all these people that were uncomfortable in this world that, that, it, that is, is not how God made it to be and it's, and it's difficult, but they trusted God and they followed Him. All these people have gone before us. He says, now since we are surrounded by such a greater cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the way forward. This is the way through the difficulty and the uncomfortableness is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to to see him, that he is true, that he is real, that he is risen, that he is alive, that he loves us, that he's with us, and believe that. Not in a, I just believe that, that's my religion, but is in a, I, I believe that, I trust that, I'll stake my life on that, even if there's all this difficulty around me, even if I suffer for it, I will trust that, I'll push through doubt, I'll push through fear and look to Jesus and trust and rest in Him. That we don't live a life that's this, this sort of about fear and self-protection, but a life that's fixed and looking at Him like He has. And I, I don't know about you, but, but that is a huge challenge for me. <laughs> that I have, lots of you guys know I have huge struggles with fear and, 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 and thoughts and I get in cycles of thoughts and, and, and doubt and, and can look into myself and you get stuck trying to fix life. But the response that we need, the response that, that our society needs from us is that we, we take Jesus at his word and we believe him even when we're afraid, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard that we trust Him and walk with Him through everything with our eyes fixed on Him. So I want to pray um, for that tonight. Um, and, if, and if God is speaking to you about that, if he's, or if you just want prayer for anything, um, we're going to do it a bit different tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to stand up the back, and Janelle's going to stand up the back. Um, and after, after we have communion, if, you, if you'd like prayer um, for, for that or for anything around that, feel free to come and we'd love to pray for you as well. So we're going to respond with communion. And, and I just encourage you today, sometimes, and, and this is good, sometimes we come to communion and, and we come really looking at ourselves and, and, and examining ourselves and, and, and thinking about our week and, and offering it to Jesus. And, and I encourage you to do that still. But as we come to communion today, I, I want you to, Focus on Jesus. I want you to fix your eyes on Him. And, and you might feel something pulling you away from that or pulling you into yourself or pulling into different thoughts. I want you to do your best to just keep fixed on Him and just, just focus on Him as you take communion. Focus on who He is. Focus on what He did. Focus on the cross. Focus on the resurrection and, and as much as you can, lift, lift your eyes off yourself and just, just try and keep them fixed on him and see what happens. So I just encourage you to do that as we have communion now. Um, maybe if you guys want to play some music, and I'll, just, I'll pray and then, and then we'll do that as well. Father, thank you so much that, that you are our God that, that this is your world that you made, that, that you've made us in your image. And that you're so good, God, that, that even though we would reject you, forget you, not care about you, spit on you, 
Instead of rejecting us, you, you come to our world and you offer yourself for us and you love us and you love those who have turned away from you and you, you love those, Lord, who have sinned against you and you do everything to call us back for you and you've shown us again and again that you are for us and that you are not against us. You've shown us again and again that you are good. God, but we can be stuck in, in fear. We can be stuck in doubt. Lord, we can be stuck in ourselves. And Father, I just pray tonight, would, would you release us, Lord, from ourselves? Would you release us from our fear? Would you release us to see you for who you are and to, and to rest in you and to trust in you in a way that actually impacts life, God? Father, I pray for our community, God. I pray that we'd be people of courage and people of faith people who believe you and, and trust you and are characterized by that, that strength, even weakness, God, that confidence even in fear, God, that, that even our culture needs so much, that, that this is such a culture of, of fear and anxiety and worry, God, that, that you would create in us a, a community, a people who are strong in you, who are steadfast in you, who are confident in you and therefore are a light. So we just ask that you would do God, that, that, that we, we cannot do that without you. We need you desperately. So we ask that you'd move in this time. Jesus, would you meet us in this time? Help us to see you. Would you reveal yourself by your spirit? We just pray this in your name. Amen.